Father, take my words and speak with them. Take our minds and think with them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, Caesar has been having a pretty tough time of it this last week, trying to determine exactly how much they need to spend and how much we need to render unto Caesar. We have in Congress at present a $2.1 trillion infrastructure bill that one party supports. The other party wants a $3.5 trillion uh, bill. And some powerful senators within that party are pushing for a $5.6 trillion dollar bill, trillion with a T, over which time will cost yet more in overspending and never-ending interest to be paid. I, for one, am rather impatient with the whole affair. I feel rather like the man who wrote a letter to the editor in France, and it's still doing the rounds in Europe. His letter goes like this, Dear President of the Republic, I've just paid all my taxes, and hence all that I'm wearing is my underwear. Let me please explain. France has a problem. It is this. We have 55 million inhabitants. Of these 27 million are children. This leaves just 28 million available for work. Now there are 7 million retired people, working force down to 21 million. Of this remainder, you must take 2 million unemployed, left to do the work, 19 million. There are 6 million students, which leaves for work 13 million. Three million are in the armed services, leaving for work 10 million. Four million are in civil service, leaving for work 6 million. One million are in jail, or ought to be, leaving for work 5 million. Three million are sick, especially on Monday mornings, leaving for work 3 million. 500,000 are in church and 500,000 pregnant women gives you for work 2 million. 1 million of these are at various ball games or casualties of the assembly line, mostly the same people. Working population, 1 million. 999,918 are in the self-service gas station business, leaving for work 82 persons. Now, I find that there are 80 cabinet positions, which leaves for work two people, namely you, Mr. President, and me. And I am therefore asking you most earnestly to get to work, because I'm sick and tired of keeping France going all by myself. <clears throat> well, when it comes to the government, when all said and done, more is said than done. But we receive, nevertheless, a great deal from the government. And it is to this that Jesus appeals in this passage we find this morning. It's a series of controversies known as the temple controversies. This is a series of debates that take place on the temple precinct. Now Jesus has been having a good week of it. He's been besting the opposition all week long. And so they come at him what seems to be an impenetrable dilemma. There's no way out of it. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, Jesus has one of two choices. He can say yes or no. If he says yes, it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, well, that means he excludes 
the extreme patriots of the nation, certainly all the zealots, but also the less extreme, the many common people opposed to Roman rule in the land. And he undercuts his popular support by more than half. If, on the other hand, he says, no, it is not lawful to pay taxes, then he, they simply send for the guard and have him arrested for an act of treason. So one way or another, this dilemma creates enormous problems for Jesus. But Jesus finds a way not only of sidestepping the question, but rather putting the issue more deeply and profoundly and for giving us an understanding not only of our relationship to the state, but also our relationship to God. He says, show me the coin. Now this particular tax was the poll tax. It would have been levied on any male between the ages of 14 and 65, on any female between the ages of 12 and 65, and it would have been one denarius, which is a single day's wage. It is a Roman coin, and it had to be paid in Roman coinage. They probably had to leave the temple grounds to get the Roman coin onto the temple vicinity. It was believed that even to carry the coin with the image of the emperor was a violation of the second commandment. Personally, I suspect that everyone had a denarius on him, but they wouldn't fess up, and so they pretend they had to go and find it and bring it back. They bring it back. Jesus says, whose image is on it? Caesar's, they say. I have seen several denariuses, or properly said in Latin, a denarii, and it says on it, Tiberius Caesar Mac Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And the inscription on it reads, Pontus Maximus, which means uh, high priest of Rome. Whose image is on it? Caesar's. And in response to that, Jesus therefore says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. I picture him holding the coin in his hand and then flipping it back to the holder. Now the word in Greek used for the word render is the word opidotia, which means not simply give to Caesar, what is Caesar's, but rather it means give back to Caesar the thing that is Caesar's. It means return to or to settle the debt or obligation you are already under. The first thing that Jesus is saying here is not, he is acknowledging that we are under a debt to Caesar. We have an obligation. We might ask, where does that obligation come from? How do we discover what that obligation is? We could do that by looking at the benefits that we receive from the state. We could look, in the time of Jesus, at the benefit that Jesus and his fellow Jews receive from the Roman state. They receive, most of all, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and all that that included, beginning with 280 years of peace, which the world had never seen before, and let's be honest, has never seen since. It also included pirates were cleared out of the Mediterranean, thank you, Pompey, Brigands were removed from the road. Aqueducts were constructed. They would, we would call that infrastructure. Roads were built to provide for commerce. Again, we would call that infrastructure. There was an economic explosion of the middle and upper classes. And lastly, there was personal income tripled during that period of time. It was a time of enormous financial expansion. And then there was also police protection. 
a military protection. They receive the uh, protection of Roman law courts, which still provides for us our model of law today in America. And so the benefits from the state would have been great. So Jesus is saying here, if you're going to receive these benefits, you must understand that you are under some kind of obligation. You are to render back to the state for those benefits. There is therefore an obligation that all of us have to the state. And that isn't unique to this passage. Jesus says the same thing in the Gospel of John. He says to Pilate, all authority is from above, and your authority, Pilate, is given to you only because God has chosen to do so. Or Paul says in the passage which was read this morning, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Peter, who pens his first epistle around the year 60 AD, writes, so make yourselves subject to the king or the emperor for the Lord's sake. And that's a pretty amazing statement, especially when you consider that the emperor at that time was Nero. But not only are we to render to Caesar our taxes and money, we are to render to Caesar other appropriate things. What I have in mind here are all the offering of obedience to the laws, uh, springing from our involvement in government when that is possible. Uh, the Romans had the right to a Roman soldier had the right to come up to you and with the broadside of his sword, lay it on your shoulder and says, Caesar requires your service. And you had to carry whatever burden that soldier had for a thousand paces. Uh, and we get the word uh, mile from that. A mile was a thousand, means a thousand. So a thousand steps you had to carry it. That was a law. And one of the glories of our Anglican tradition is that in America, so many of our leaders, presidents, senators, Supreme Court justices, have served the state in their ways. But this is an allegiance subscribed by a greater allegiance, by a greater loyalty, a greater obligation. Jesus here doesn't preach a sermon, but he gives us this very fascinating enigmatic epigram. And it begins to ask the subsequent question and give to Caesar the things which, I uh, give to God the things which are God, which causes us to ask the question, well, what do we owe to God? If we render our taxes to Caesar, what are we to render to God? And the answer to that might be pursued by asking, what are the benefits that we have received from God? We've just enumerated the benefits we've received from the states, well and good. Now, what are the benefits we've received from God? I put the question to you. What benefits have you received from God? That would take us all day to explore, but let me give you just three possibilities to get started. These are the big ones. The first thing that God has done for us is he has created us. God has made us. This is the doctrine of creation. And he has made us not just as a group, humanity, but he's made each one of us individually. Have you ever thought about that? Not that God made humanity, but he made you. Specifically, with all that is particular and peculiar to just you. I'm 
Sure, all of you remember that wonderful picture on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome, painted by Michelangelo, where a very powerful God is reaching out with his hand to engender life, and Adam, who with a very limpid hand, is holding up, and, and I'm sure you can picture those two fingers, and you can almost feel the life about to jump across the chasm there. I'm sure you can picture that. But can you remember what God had as he's touching Adam, what he has in his other arm? It's almost a perfect circle. And he's holding a figure there who is surrounded by a nimbus. And the purpose of that nimbus is to convey the Catholic truth that this person doesn't yet exist in time and space. And that person is Eve. And looking over her shoulders and, and around her side on both sides, there's other figures which represent all the descendants of Eve. That is, you and me. We're in that picture. And the details in Eve and those other people are just as beautiful and precise and detailed as the details in Adam. Adam exists in time and space. Eve exists only in the mind of God, but it's just as precise and this is a way of Michelangelo saying, God thought on her, and that's why she is. The psalmist, psalmist puts it in this fashion. He says, be ye sure that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. It is he that has made us. God made you specifically, and that's a gift Psalmist goes on to say in the psalm we had this morning, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Why are we the sheep of his pasture? Because he made us. The workman always owns his own workmanship. So the first benefit we have received is the benefit of creation. If there was nothing else to worship God for and to practice our stewardship, that would be enough. But there's more. The second benefit we have received from God is the benefit of providence. God provides for each one of us, and not only throughout our lives at certain moments of need, but each and every day, I would say even each and every moment. There's one school of theological thought that says you exist because God is thinking about you, and if God were to cease thinking about you, you would cease to exist. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. But I know that the words of James are true, where he says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. How many gifts have you received? Good parents, good teachers, good friends, good health, food. Uh, this is uh, Clergy Appreciation Month, and I've received with the other clergy very many nice cards. Uh, a few uh, uh, money cards to my favorite coffee shop, and I've enjoyed that. But behind each of those gifts, it is God who is giving. He's acting in kind of an invisible way to accomplish those things. Psalmist puts it in these terms. He says, Thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou fillest all things with plenteousness. Don't you love that word, plenteousness? I mean, it's just a rich word. And I look around this congregation, and I see people who are filled with plenteousness. I am. I receive those good things. 
You know, when I was a little kid, I, I, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and we always heard the offertory line, I'm going to say it, and I want you to make the response, all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. And I always thought that was kind of funny. I mean, it's religious, we're supposed to look religious, but I always thought it was funny because we're giving to God what is already his. What sense does that make? And it took me back to when I was in the, I think it was the second grade, when my dad was walking around the house. My dad could be very dramatic. Uh, and he said, what this house needs is some good mousetraps. Uh, we had the little pittering of feet up in the attic, you know. And we saw little uh, uh, love notes from the mice around the house. So dad says, we need some mousetraps. Well, here little, you know, seven-year-old Brad thinking, I know who sells those. I always walked home the same way, and I went through the stores, and one store had some mousetraps, and they were rather inexpensive. So I went to my dad about two weeks before his birthday and said, Dad, can I have some money? And he said, what for? And I said, well, I want to buy a present. He said, for whom? I said, it's a surprise. Well, he knew. And he, he says, well, okay, that sounds all right. He counted, how much do you need? Three dollars. He counted $3, threw in an extra one, and said, here, uh, enjoy your gift here. So I went, I bought those mousetraps, and I wrapped it myself. They may have been the worst wrapped presents in the history of the world. I think there was more tape in the mousetrap than there was paper on it, but there it was. And the great night came of the birthday, and we had the formal meal with the tablecloth, you know, in the dining room, and we had a very fine meal. And then we cleared it, and we had the cake, and we blew out the candles, and we sang happy birthday. And then we cleared it aside, and the presents were put up. And I was had it on my knees for the whole meal. I was so excited, just trembling with excitement. And I put my horrible little gifts up on the table, and I just looked up deck because he didn't, this was going to be the best present he got. And he got it, and he looked at it. I don't know, it must have taken him several minutes to get through all that tape, but he did, and then he said, Brad, thank you. That's, this is the best present I've gotten this year. Thank you for a great gift. And I just sat back, and I just beamed. Now, is that any different from what we do every Sunday, we put our money on the altar. We will when this stupid COVID plague is gone. But we put our money on the altar and we say, oh, Lord, we're giving you this money. Excuse me. That's his money. That's no different from the mousetraps that I was doing along the way. God is providential. And the third and last reason I'm going to speak to why we should be generous in our stewardship, is it's a response to the doctrine of redemption. I love that word, redemption. God has redeemed us. And that's a wonderful word. It comes from two Latin words, re, which means again, and emptor, which means buyer. Re emptor means to buy again. And the Latins didn't like to have two E's next to one another, so they throw the D in there and it becomes re Demptor. It means to buy back. And those of you who are my age or maybe older will remember once upon a time uh, that all the soda pop cans used to have a little, little thing. It was in the glass up on top. It would say, redeemable or can be redeemed. 
And I'd go around and I'd knock on doors and I'd say, do you have any bottles you're giving away? And on one occasion I got 22 bottles I had in my little wagon, went down to the store. I got three cents each for those bottles of soda pop. I had 66 cents. That was enough ice cream for the whole week. Redeemable. And that's what we are. We have a sign on us that says redeemable. Jesus says at one point in Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The idea here is that the death of Jesus is a kind of buying back. Or St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that you were bought with a price? Every one of us has a price tag on us. And I know some people struggle with self-esteem issues. Let me just tell you, what are you worth? The answer is, you are worth the blood of Christ. And that should raise up your head. And our stewardship is based in part upon that. I want to close with a story about a little boy from Upper New York. This is 50 years old, this story. But he and his family would visit during the summer the Lake uh, uh, Finger Lake lakes in upper New York State. They had a cottage there, and the wife and the kids would just play, play, play all week. The dad would be in and out to work sometimes, but the family had a great summer there, swimming, laughing, playing tennis, riding bicycles, hiking. This boy had a hobby of making uh, 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 of various models of this and that, and he tackled his biggest project, which was a five-foot, I don't know what it's called, uh, one of those great schooners from the 18th century of those, those ships, and it was very detailed. It had a stand that it sat on, and he did the whole thing. It was the cloth, you know, sails and the ropes for these little strands, and he'd tie them with uh, a little tweezers. He painted it with a very small paintbrush. It took him all summer. And the last week they were up there, he took it out and he put it on the lake and all his brothers and sisters and friends were around, they were laughing. But a wind came up and picked it up and blew it out into deep water. The mom says, we're not going to swim after it, let's go get the boat. Boathouse was some ways away and we'll come back and pick it up. But when they went to look for it, they couldn't find it. It was gone. I mean, it was gone. And so they made these lost and found posters and they posted them. I think the uh, circumference of that lake was something like 50 or 60 miles, and they're putting in the various villages around, but nobody reported it. The following summer, they were visiting a uh, village on the other side of the lake, and they saw a pawn shop, and sitting in the display window of that pawn shop was his boat for sale. And the boy went in there, and he said, that's my boat. And the guy says, well, it may have been your boat, son, but it's my boat now. I found it, and it belongs to me. You want that boat, you have to pay for it. So he set it aside, and the boy went to work. While everyone else was playing and having fun, he was delivering groceries, he was running errands, he was babysitting, he was doing the whole work to raise money for his boat. At the very end of the summer, he had enough money and they got the family pickup truck because it wouldn't fit into the cab. And, and the whole family jumped in. They drove around to that pawn shop. And this little boy walked in. And he went in by himself. Parents, very rightly, had him do that. And he had the money. And he went up to that pawn shop owner. And he put the money down. He said, it's yours. And he picked that huge boat up. It was five feet high. And he picked it up. And he came around. And he came out of that shop. 
and he was going to put it in the back of that truck. But as he did so, he looked at his boat and he said, Oh, my boat, now you are twice mine. First because I made you, and now because I have bought you. And that's what God says to each one of us. You are twice mine. First because I made you, let's add providence, and also because I bought you. That's what God says about us. That's how precious we are in His sight along the way. And so we look to God in our stewardship thinking for creation, providence, and redemption. One of my favorite lines when I come to this altar from the old, old prayer book, but as a priest I would spread my hands over the whole altar and I would say, and here we offer and present unto you, O Lord, ourselves, our souls, and bodies. To be what? To be a kind of paying back to God, an opidotia, a paying back to God, a rendering to God for all the good He has done for us. So let us do that as you make your stewardship gifts and your Sunday self-offerings. Let us do that. You owe it to him for all the good he has done for you. Let us pray. And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies to be a reasonable and holy and living sacrifice unto thee. Amen.